A quick warning before we get started with today's episode. You're about to hear a story that has graphic descriptions of violence and death. Okay, now on to our story. It's almost Halloween, that time of year for candy, costumes, and a good fright. I'm J.P. Swenson. Here at Curious City, we like a good ghost story, so we asked you for some. And we got a call from Colin Santi, who says he had an encounter with a ghost as a little boy. He was living on the grounds of a wealthy mansion in Barrington, Illinois. His father was the caretaker, one of many who worked there. One night, young Colin woke up to something unusual. I woke up to seeing somebody in the hallway. And so I looked down there and I was like, there's somebody walking. And I thought it was my mom or my dad. But it was, it was ghostly. It was, it was um, shadowed and illuminating like, like sheets moving in the wind, like hanging. And it was feetless. And so I was peeking out over my covers going, Dad? Mom, and I'm holding, and I hide my head under the covers, and I pull my eyes back out, and I'm still covering my nose with the covers, and I'm looking, saying, Mom, Dad. And I climb into my parents' room, and they're both in bed, sound asleep. As I found them there, I realized whoever was in the house, wherever that was, wasn't my parents. And I slept in my parents' bed for the next week. And while Colin was a young child when he saw this apparition, he's not the only one who believes they may have seen ghosts in Barrington, especially at that house on Rainbow Road in the area surrounding it. So much strange history surrounds this area and the mansion where Colin's dad once worked. There are so many different stories and rumors about apparitions and even gangsters that truth and urban legend have mixed together over the decades. You know, the legends we heard more about the Rainbow Road house was that it was an asylum that barbed wire fence and dobermans and armed guards and he came and went by helicopter and it's just that the criminal element in chicago was able to use northwest highway to get away from the city either for pleasure to leave geneva or as a hideout if things were heating up in chicago for them and they were able to uh, do their activities in the suburban towns along this road i think overall there's a bad vibe. There's an emotional oppression that when you go there, maybe you're kind of looking over your shoulder because you're trespassing and you're, you know you shouldn't be there, but maybe there is something else negative there. I believe in ghosts. I mean, I, I think there's something there. You'd walk in and you'd feel these spirits on you and feeling something more than just fear, an omnipresent force, an actual like like a wind, like a presence upon you. So how did this ghost story come to be? And where does Barrington's history with the mob fit in? And what power does the haunting of Rainbow Road still hold? That's all coming up next. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark. Learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash 
Talk Away the Dark. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. Barrington is an idyllic village abutted by lush forest preserves roughly 40 miles northwest of downtown Chicago. The houses are big and the lawns well manicured. It's picturesque, suburban, quiet. Some residents might even say too quiet. Yeah, like, yeah, you want to hear some stories about Borington? (laughs) The area once belonged to the Potawatomi, Chippewa, and Ottawa tribes, but was ceded to the U.S. government after the Black Hawk War. In the 1850s, with the extension of the railway, the territory soon became occupied by farmers who could enjoy large plots of land. They were far from the prying eyes of government interference, says Barrington librarian Kate Mills. People walked from Chicago to come out here to claim or buy land. And many of them were Chicago executives who came and bought country estates for the weekend and for the summering. And that's pretty much how it got started. This rapid expansion and development eventually led to violence. In 1877, a farmer named Peter Davison got angry that Rainbow Road was cutting through his orchard. And he decided to block off Rainbow Road. And, of course, the road manager did not like that idea. (laughs) And so he came to Davison's farm to ask him to take down the barriers. And Davison shot him. And he died. So that was one of the very first, uh, probably one of the very first early crimes in Barrington. It would not be the last. And Rainbow Road, where this early murder occurred, is the same street where our haunted tale begins. If you try to find the house where our story takes place, you won't. Today what you'll see is a modern subdivision on a quiet cul-de-sac surrounded by nature. But back in the 1960s, things looked very different. There was a sprawling 40-acre estate that included a mansion with a massive swimming pool, multiple tennis courts, and a six-car garage. And we had our own gas pump. That's Robin, who doesn't want us to use her last name. Her family owned the estate. She grew up in the mansion, which had marble floors and a powder room adorned with velvet wallpaper and 24-karat gold fixtures. There were horse stables, even a heliport. It was lavish. And we had these giant goldfish and the black goldfish with the big eyes and koi fish. And at one point, my dad even brought home a couple alligators, so we had pet alligators. Sometimes they'd escape from their pond. And they would go through the kitchen and climb up the windows and get in the drapes there because the sun was coming up in the heat. They liked the heat. So every morning before school, it's like, somebody go get the alligators. Okay, you know, <laughs> catch them and put them back in the pond. It was just a great childhood. It was a great place to grow up, you know. And yet, Robin never wants to go back there. I'm not going back to that area. I'm not going to put myself in that kind of jeopardy. People say the mansion where Robin grew up was haunted. And so were the grounds where it once stood on Rainbow Road. 
Some claim that if you parked your car at the mansion's gates, you could hear screaming and howling coming from the house. Others have seen a house appear with lights that flicker on and off. Some say they've seen the image of a 1920s black car driven by an Al Capone-era mobster. Librarian Kate Mills thinks she knows why there are so many sinister sightings. Probably because Rainbow Road is so close to White Cemetery, and there's lots of ghost stories associated with the cemetery. The orbs of light, the black phantom car, the phantom couple walking on the road, a phantom woman walking on the road, and so forth. So it's very easy to combine all that together, I'm sure. For Robin, as a little girl, she remembers feeling a presence in her house. And so did other members of her family. My aunt was very aware of something being in the house, especially because over my bedroom was the attic, and uh, there was a lot of noise going on in that attic. Uh, A lot. And I, I hate to make it sound like this, but a lot of times it sounded like chains being dragged which is so stereotypical, but it really did. It sounded like big chains being dragged. But my my mom and my aunt would have to go upstairs and they'd take holy water in the attic and they said when they bless stuff, this wind would come by them and just blow them, you know, cold wind. And then it would stop and they knew that whatever was there was gone. And it would be quiet for a while. Robin says her mom and aunt would tell her to let them know if she ever heard the noises again. She says sometimes it was months later, but they always returned. People say one of the more chilling tales about the house on Rainbow Road is the apparition of a little boy appearing nearby. As the story goes, anyone who drove down the long driveway to the house at exactly 37 miles an hour would see the face of the boy. And people have described what he's wearing in great detail. The accounts are remarkably similar. They would see this young boy, and they would see him in either fire truck pajamas or overalls, blue jean overalls with a red shirt underneath. That was the most common sighting. Scott Marcus, who makes films about the paranormal, also wrote a book about Chicago hauntings that included the ghost stories of Barrington. And he spent years inquiring about these tales. I kept talking to people and and kind of collecting these stories, even before I really knew what I was doing. I was just very curious about this location. So what did he discover? Why was there an apparition of a little boy? And what other tales might be behind the hauntings on Rainbow Road? That's next. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hacia, whose Executive Fellows Program provides Black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. 
Registrants learn through one-on-one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at HACIAWorks.org. The level of specificity with what the apparition of the little boy is wearing is just as intriguing as the apparition itself. So, why the overalls? Well, Scott Marcus stumbled upon what he believes to be the answer. Somebody shared an obituary about a little boy that died in an accident on the site in William Coconore. We've seen a little boy and we didn't know why, and now we actually have proof that a little boy died on the site. A validating explanation for a paranormal investigator. But for the people living on the property at the time, the death itself was just as haunting. I heard that there was a little boy with a pair of overalls. One one of the overalls were down, you know, standing there. I'm not sure where, but I heard something like that. My brother did wear overalls all the time. Carol Coconower's dad worked as the groundskeeper at the mansion on Rainbow Road. She was there the day that her brother, Billy, died. She was standing nearby. He was playing on a birdbath. The thing was huge. He was playing on it, and I could hear the thing wobbling. I do remember that. And I think he went to get down off of it, and he was falling, and he went to grab the birdbath, the top of it, and it fell on him and crushed his head. He was crushed. He he was already. As soon as uh, we got back over there, I could remember. I can remember the sounds that he was making, the gurgling. I could smell, you know, what, what just happened. I could see steam coming out. Yeah. Robin, the girl who'd grown up in the mansion, was also home at the time young Billy died. She was in third grade at the time, and she says she witnessed the accident through a window inside the house. I was going upstairs, and I sat on one of the stairs, and I stopped, and I just was watching him. But she recalls the story a little differently from Carol. And then I saw this birdbath just lift up in the air and just move over and then just fall on his head. And I tried to scream, and I couldn't scream. Nothing was coming out. I was, for a long time, I was just like, "Ah." When the police came to investigate the death, Robin repeatedly told them the same thing. No, the birdbath didn't tip over. It floated through the air. The untimely death of a little boy is enough to have lasting influence in memory and lived experience. For Carol, her brother's death has had long-standing impact beyond the trauma. Me and my kids wanted to go out there and just maybe bless the place, maybe to see, you know, maybe tell them it's okay to go home, you know, go back to where you need to be. With many urban legends, there are often parts of the story that hold some truth. Carol's brother William died a tragic death at the house on Rainbow Road. But that's not where this haunted story ends. You might remember the apparition of a little boy isn't the only thing people claim to have seen or experienced there on Rainbow Road. Some people say they've been followed down that road by a car from the 1920s, driven by a cigar-chewing mobster. Prohibition, of course, led to a criminal element being able to bootleg, rum rum, and so forth in Chicago, and having the nice 
clean stretch of Northwest Highway that provided the road to the suburbs for gangland, gangster-type activities. Allowing easy transport of alcohol to more suburbs and onward to Wisconsin and Minnesota. By the 1930s, every outlaw from Al Capone to John Dillinger seemed to have connections in Barrington. One of Capone's lieutenants was found burned to death in an ice house just south of Rainbow Road. His body was so charred, authorities had to use his false teeth to identify him. Gruesome as it was, his death is not the most infamous criminal event that took place in Barrington. In 1934, the feds caught wind that a couple of notorious bank robbers and murderers, along with an accomplice, were on the move. Babyface Nelson, his wife Helen, and John Paul Chase were in a car coming back from their Lake Geneva hideout. At the time, Babyface Nelson, whose birth name was Lester Gillis, was considered public enemy number one. He'd killed a federal agent the year before, so capturing him would have been a huge deal. And they sent two agents in a car from Chicago. When the two cars passed each other on the Northwest Highway, they both pulled multiple U-turns. Now the bad guys were pursuing the agents. They engaged in gunfire. Both cars came to a halt. The feds made the next move. They got out of their car, took defensive positions, and waited for Babyface Nelson to come at them. In the meantime, two other agents had arrived. Guns are drawn. And that's where the, the gun battle actually took place. There was a gas station across the street. There were people in the gas station hiding under the counters. And I believe they said it was at least five minutes of a hail of bullets. Babyface Nelson was shot repeatedly. He was injured, and two agents were killed. His wife Helen stole the agent's car, and the three outlaws escaped. Babyface Nelson later died from his injuries, and his body was dumped next to a cemetery near the small town of Niles Center, Illinois. After it happened and it was all over, the kids after school came to see if they could dig bullets out of the trees (laughs) Uh, and so forth, because there was just a remarkable amount of gunfire. And that's not the only time that teenagers would be drawn to this part of town and be drawn by the stories of criminal activity. By the late 80s, the family that had once lived in the lavish mansion was gone. The house was left abandoned. Here's paranormal investigator Scott Marcus again. One of the mysteries about it was that it was locked in time. One visitor described walking through the house and there were still forks in the drawers and photographs on the walls. The family appeared to have left in a hurry. And so, of course, that leads to all sorts of different urban legends about being on the run, that kind of stuff. In 1994, the federal government actually brought criminal charges against the head of the family that had lived there, alleging that he had bribed and defrauded the government. He landed in prison. Meanwhile, rumors began to fly and curious teens looking for a scare made their way to the property. Those who were bold enough to venture all the way down to the basement were supposedly met with the blood and pentagrams drawn by the kids before them. There were tales of black magic and animal sacrifices taking place. But mainly there were teenagers hopping the Black Iron Gate and exploring the grounds, looking for ghosts and a shot of adrenaline. On the record, even a current Lake County deputy chief admitted to venturing out with friends on Rainbow Road as a teen. 
it was a terrifying rite of passage, embraced by a generation of Barrington kids. The property switched owners multiple times. A decade and a half of neglect and lots of partying teens left the mansion nearly destroyed. Until 2004, when, despite the rumors, haunted tales, and trespassing teens, it was purchased by Tim Pattison. And I came along when I moved back to Barrington, because I grew up in Barrington, and I was looking for a property to, to develop for myself, for my family, to build a house. Though it had been nearly 20 years since his own high school years there, Tim says his imagination went wild when, after tearing down the home, he found something unexpected and quite unusual. There was a safe room in the basement, which from the 70s, that nobody had a safe room. And in that safe room was uh, 50 phone lines. We, we kept thinking, oh, we're going to dig up bodies. Oh, we're going to dig up, you know, you know, a Cadillac coffin here, you know, some, you know nothing. No, we didn't find anything. <laughs> Tim decided to split the estate into six lots and developed the subdivision over the next couple of years. He ended up on the receiving end of Barrington's obsession with the house on Rainbow Road. During the time that it took me to get that subdivision, <laughs> in two years, there were more police incidents on the property than the the sheriff's department's computers could hold. And what it was was it was just kids that were curious. They heard about the haunted property. They're out there looking for ghosts. In the case of the house on Rainbow Road, its haunting became a sort of parasite. The legends became its downfall, and the house was slowly destroyed by its unwelcome visitors. One night, one of the old buildings on Tim's property even caught fire. And I get a call from the sheriff, who by that time I knew all of them because they're out there every other day. And they saw the flames from uh, the corner of Barrington Road and Miller Road, which is like three miles away. The flames were like 300 feet in the air. It was, it was huge fire. Tim believes the fire was intentional. We weren't able to confirm this. Teenagers weren't the only ones interested in the old mansion on Rainbow Road. Ghost hunters and paranormal investigators wanted to get to the bottom of these legends. Somebody called me up one time and said, uh, hey, would you mind if we came and did a paranormal study of the people that were murdered at the insane asylum there? And I was like, look, there's no insane asylum. There never was. It was a farm, like, way back in the day. It was a residence in the 70s and 80s. I was like, uh, but, you know, you, you couldn't keep the people away. It's hard to find a Barrington resident who doesn't know the urban legends about the Rainbow Road estate. Even with all the headaches as Tim developed the property, he couldn't help but lean into the ghost stories he grew up with. We would spend Halloweens out there, and anybody brave enough to actually, you know, jump the gate and walk down there, uh, you know, we'd shine a flashlight on them, and most of them just went, ran screaming. And, uh, you know, the ones that were brave enough to stop and say hi, we gave candy to. <laughs> it was just kind of funny. The haunting of Rainbow Road has become an object of fascination for many. But on a grander scale, ghost stories can shape the culture of a place like Barrington, says paranormal investigator Scott Marcus. I think everybody wants to just believe that they are in proximity to something exceptional, that you know, this isn't just a normal little street, that there's a hidden history that only uh, we know and we can pass on. But also, I love that because that's part of culture. 
you know, people growing up with a shared legend, even if it's fake, is still part of the culture of a space, and that's fascinating. Today, the haunting of Rainbow Road is a fading tale. Once Tim removed the iconic gate at the driveway's entrance, police incidents began to decline. And at the library, Kate Mills rarely gets calls about the property anymore. Tim finished building the new subdivision there. The old mansion's driveway's been paved over and has been redeveloped to be Caitlin's Way, named after Tim's daughter. Anyone hoping to catch a glimpse of the old rotting mansion will simply find a quiet cul-de-sac. Nearby haunted sites like White Cemetery still necessitate a heightened police presence around Halloween. However, in the woods that creep up to Caitlin's Way, the branches of twisting trees reach up to the sky. And one could understand how a tragic series of events in a place like this could blur history and invite supernatural explanations for the unimaginable misfortunes. Be sure to check out our story online at wbez.org slash curiouscity, where you can see lots of photos of the old mansion on Rainbow Road. Reporting this week comes from Jeff Ruby, Cassie Walker-Burke, Samantha Callender, Jeb Baki, and me, J.P. Swenson. Curious City is supported by the Conant Family Foundation and produced by Joe Dassault and Jason Mark. Adriana Cardona-Magigad is our reporter. Maggie Civit is the digital and engagement producer, and Alexander Solomon edits the show. Happy Halloween! Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.